Hello, freaks. Welcome to Radical Research. Those were the dulcet tones of Hunter Ginn. I am Jeff Wagner. This is Radical Research, episode 103. We got nobody to thank. We are ungrateful bastards. Hello, Hunter. How you doing? I am fine, sir. How are you? Great. So we are circling around an album this time. I know there are listeners out there of this podcast, and we appreciate every single one of you. But there are some of them that prefer when we do more thematic things. We're going to get to that. Uh, we have s- some really good ideas for the coming next five or 10 episodes. And within those five or 10 will be some more kind of more thematic and and more broad, perhaps, or or just complex ideas. Right now, we're having fun going through some albums and bands that we, we've probably talked about forever and just still haven't gotten to. And this is one very special album for us. And I, and I, I guess we could say because it's a special album for us, it's a special band for us. But for one, this band was short-lived. And for two, we don't really love anything they did before or after it. Does that the case for you, right? Very fair to say. I mean, the first album is uh, embryonic, to say the least. Rickety. Rickety? Yes. Rickety Rickety is good. It's 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 a rickety DRI. We're talking about Dead Horse from Houston. And they existed between 1988 and 1997 or so. And then they came back at some point in the 2000 teens and they're already split up. So that's the short, short, short version of of their history. We come in on their second album released in 1991 called Peaceful Death and Pretty Flowers. We're going to listen to the very first song as we like to do when we do an album survey we're going to go in order this is a bit from the opening cod peace face So I remember getting this album 
within a few days of Primus's um, Sailing the Seas of Cheese, mm. um, that Cyclone Temple record, what was it called? I Hate Therefore I Am? Yes, indeed. Okay. Anacrusis, um, Manic Impressions, and this. Uh, nice haul. But, you know, I, I didn't... I didn't know enough at the time to make sense of any of it. It <laughs> all sort of lived in this multiverse in my head, you know, and it, it like this record is such a, ref- it's somehow timeless and somehow a direct reflection of its time. You know, you and I worship Frizzle Fry, but like when else could that record have been made? Right. It's so, yeah, it's timeless, but of its time. That's Yeah, that's one of those for sure. And I think it's timeless because the creativity is their own. Like you you don't hear, you don't hear a band meshing that grind blast. I was about to say there, there's, there are other other things at work in this album that are not um, a part of other things that might be um, sort of adjacent to it. No. No, this was, they're so singular. And I think, you know, let's go back for a second and talk about the first album. It has a great title of Horse Core, an unrelated story that's time-consuming. That was a full length from 89. Markedly different, same lineup, but markedly different in the sense that it was much shorter songs. There wasn't a song that even reached three minutes, I don't think. And whereas in Peaceful Death, they spread out the, the songs and the arrangements and the vista that they were playing with. But I never really grasped onto that album. I wanted to, but I got into it after Peaceful Death. I read about them in 1989, though, in a fanzine that maybe you've heard of called Gray Matter. I don't know if you ever heard of that one. Um, I have not. It's it's it was really good. It was newsprint but very thick, and they would cover everything from like early Dream Theater. I remember was a big favorite of theirs. I, I think Watchtower as well, Carcass, uh, and then into the hardcore and punk scenes that were happening at the time. I want to say it was maybe from Texas, but I could be wrong. But they they reviewed Death Rides a Dead Horse, the band's 88 demo. And I remember being so intrigued by the review that I just kept my ears open for them for like two, three years before Peaceful Death came out. And I found it in a store and I bought it. I mean, that was really it. Picking up Peaceful Death Blind in the store, taking it home. I expected something different because that's kind of what I'd always heard about them. But I was just blown away at the originality. Uh, and I still don't know another album like this, which is why we're looking at it today. There is no other album like this. And and I think we would be remiss were we not to mention um, our dear friend, Forrest Pitts. Yes. Who really kind of urged us onto this task. Forrest was the first one for me, and it didn't make perfect sense after he said this, to mention the SOD influence oh, in yeah. this band. I never, and, and it, it, it's so odd. It was staring me in the face the whole time. I, it just never occurred to me. Right, right. Uh, it's there. It, it, it's there. The best aspects of SOD for sure. Um, and, and I think that permeated the, the first album. There was more DRI in the first album, fellow Texans. But the breadth and the depth of Peaceful Death is impressive. It goes beyond even SOD, but that's a very good thing to bring up. And we, while we're talking about Forrest, we should mention that on radicalresearch.org, either at the launch of this episode or shortly after we will have a contribution from Forrest uh, as fellow heart, his pen name, his nom de plume. We'll have a really great feature on our site regarding dead horse and peaceful death. 
So here we are in 1991. We picked this up at the same time. We're flabbergasted. We don't know what to think, but we know we like it. This is the song, the next one, Turn, that really got me. I remember early on in my early listens of this album, this was the one that uh, I'm glad I came early because I always couldn't wait to get to it. But it just kind of defined all the specialness of this band for me. I hold Turn in pretty high regard. How about you? You know, Jeff, I'm not one to agree with you normally. <laughs> this is this is true. Here we are. <laughs> Here we are. This is Turn. a nice compact two minutes and 58 seconds we're able to pack in most of that song um a lot of things to say i, I want to address the lyrics but first you know hunter how much i love and i know how much you love corrosion conformity is blind i feel like and that came out in 91 yeah that was 91 oh yeah uh, um, that great year of 91 i mean my god how well, many, how well, many you times? and i um did we ever post that list that you and i compiled of the great just metal yes I, yes I, yes i metal records from 1991 i believe that's still on the radical research blog at radical research madness radical research dot org um so the thing i want to say about that was this song reminds me of if coc had been and i don't mean this in any disparaging way but if coc in the blind era had made a more easier transition from their early material like if they if they took technocracy and animosity and went the blind direction, but with the with that lineup and with that sensibility, but with also the epic element, the trouble element of blind, you'd get turned. I feel like that is just exactly where COC would what they would have sounded like right here. Yep. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I I love the the looser, more rocking element. Of well, yeah, exactly. Too. Like, because it, yeah. it, it's you know it's not a one to one comparison there, but like, yeah, it, it, it's like the ingestion of similar influences and like, but different outcomes. And, and certainly, I mean, you know, it, it goes without saying, of course, that Black Sabbath is a huge influence on on so many metal bands. But I think here we look at COC and we look at Dead Horse and we hear the Sabbath influence in terms of like, maybe think about something like volume four, where they are playing pretty sophisticated stuff and writing in a more sophisticated way than ever before. Um, yet there's still that looseness from the early days. And um, and I think that's what we're hearing. It's just this kind of elevated sort of looseness, I guess. It's, it's, yep. hard, to, it's hard to really um, put into words for sure. It is. It's a it's a relaxed approach, but it's still heavy. It's and, heavy and it's still dark, and it's still weird. And I think the weirdness for Dead Horse uh, comes in a lot of ways. Uh, their imagery. It's a like a card. Whenever I think about that, um, I think about Joe Carducci, and we've talked about this. Uh, yeah, and his theory um, about the interplay with a live band and a rhythm section and that kind of thing. And I hear this in Dead Horse. Totally. Good call. I, I like the lyrics of a lot of these songs. I like the lyrics in turn a lot. Like a fish on the line, I'm struggling. Wild horses trampling man over enemy lines. The battle fan is grinding mother nature. Inevitable masochism, massacring, bleeding fire engine red. I mean, I could go on, but it's just, it's got I mean, this, no, like, no, no, no. it's got no. this free and loose kind of prose to it as well, you know, and, yeah, and it's totally. creative and it, and it brings up, uh, some interesting visions, but ones that are never too concrete or too on the nose. I, I love that about it. Think about the the artwork. Like I, I bought the album because of the artwork. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. It's just so odd. <laughs> right. I, I didn't. I I knew they were a metal band. Yeah. And, you know, in in some sense, <laughs> but they didn't seem like any other metal band. And I think the lyrics are a direct reflection of like the oddness of the artwork yeah i'm looking at that artwork now you're right it's it's beautiful i just i just love it's, it it's uh, gorgeous it, it really I, is i think they are really to i mean to your point i think they're really gifted lyricists and i mean how often can we say that and how often do we even pay attention to lyrics they're not as often as as other people i think it's it's always a great bonus when the lyrics are awesome you and uh, i you and i tend to <laughs> Again, surprise, agree about the really gifted lyricist in metal. Yeah. Uh, you know, in the woods. Um in the woods. Yeah. Motorhead. Yep. Yep. Uh, you know, like it's 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 a rarity. And yep. Dead Horse, let's add those, let's add them to the list. And yeah, it's uh, the lyrics were by Michael Haga exclusively, the vocalist and guitarist. Uh let's name Greg Martin, uh, also guitars. Uh, Ronnie Gayote, not sure if I'm saying that last name right, but uh, drummer, uh, and Alan Price on bass. And this was this is the core and classic lineup of Dead Horse. Later on, Michael would leave, and the other three guys would go on and do things in both eras. Let's move on to this song that, to me, has is, is always been a little contentious. As much as I'm fawning over this album, and always have, and always hold a special place in my heart. There are a couple moments that I don't love. We'll be talking about these as we go. The first one's La La Song, which is fine, except for the the what we'll call the chorus. 
I think that worked really well the first couple of listens and then it just wears off and, and you get, at least I do, I get really tired of it. Uh, let's listen to what I'm talking about and we'll, uh, we'll debate after, after we return. Okay, so uh, we heard the end of La La song. My issue is just the La La blah, 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 which I thought at first was fucking hilarious and awesome. I still in a way do, but at the same time, I, I just, it bothers me now. It sounds stupid. It sounds immature. It sounds like something they could have left behind on the cutting room floor. I never liked it. You never like, oh, interesting. See, I, see the, I don't, Yeah, no, I, in fact, I, I hate it. Ah, you hate it. Um, well, you, so you, well, wait a minute though. The rest of the song. I, I feel like Jason Walton. <laughs> the rest of the song is like great pungent stench. It it works yes. in that it works in that area. Uh, love it. It's just that. So you're talking about the one little refrain. Yes. Okay. Did you like it at first? No. Oh, see, I okay. No, I don't. I don't like. Um, I don't like humor in music. Uh, right. You you like it all. in 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 sketch comedy such as I think you should leave. Yes. Okay. Um, no, I know you have an ex- amazing sense of humor. Uh, and so do I, but like, yeah, you and I are somewhat similar in that we don't love that kind of humor in music. However, I used to say that that was, a, that was a thing for, um, like with forced entry for me, the band. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. Cause okay. I love a lot of what they do. Um, but they had like this, I don't, they like this obligation to insert humor in, and maybe it was just, of the time it was i mean it was something that talk about sod it was something that was i think introduced or or made popular by them it never bothered me on sod because i think the whole point was that also it was like wow these guys are fucking nuts it kind of came across as a little more real do you know what i mean yeah Uh, but this like to me this seems puerile there you go that's that's the best word for it so you know we 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 dock them a point or two for that, but no big deal. Again, like the rest of the song I love, and it does remind me of of the best moments of Punch and Stench in '91. So, I wanted to mention before we move on to the amazing like Azrael, Kerry Crafton was a co-engineer, mixer, producer on this, along with Randy Haga, who I can only assume is relation to Mike. Uh, I assume perhaps uh, perhaps brother. On... You, ne- you never know. You, you do never know. Could be another Haga that's completely unrelated. But um, what I want to say about unrelated Haga, un, unrelated, that sounds like an Irish sheep dish or something. <laughs> unrelated Haga. Uh, Kerry Crafton is a name that you should know if you're into the history of metal and all the great stuff that came from Texas, because 
listen to this guy's resume. And this is as either engineer or producer, sometimes mixing, obviously just an all around studio guy. Agony Column, Anchor Watt, Dead Horse, Devastation, Juggernaut, uh, Rigor Mortis, and Watchtower. Uh, he, he worked on Energetic Disassembly, the first ever tech metal record. Like oh. this guy has a lot of clout when it comes to Texas metal. And I'm so glad that Peaceful Death is on his resume. Uh, just wanted to mention that. We're going to move on to a song called. So, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Shout out to John Mintzboyer for Juggernaut. Ah, yeah, Hunter Always. recently. Yeah, Hunter re- recently met up with a friend of ours, John Mintzboyer, who I've only met briefly a long time ago and am so due to meet. We were actually at. Um, a Voivod show in Atlanta about five or six years ago and didn't know that until after the event, which sucked. <laughs> but anyway, you met John Moyer this last week. And uh, for those of you who don't know, he's just an all around awesome dude, but perhaps his most infamous credit is Legend. As, as editor yeah. of, of yeah. the great, of the great Oaken throne, black metal fanzine. Yeah. So it's awesome. A, yeah. Total, total underground metal legend. Absolutely. So yeah. you met with him and he gave you a juggernaut album. He bought it for himself. And um, we met and he is a just princely gentleman. And he was like, do you have this? I said, no. So take it. Wow. That's amazing. That's um, I hope he gives me an awesome album. I don't have what I mean, but I I don't expect him to, nor nor do I really even want him to. That's just too generous. It's just too generous. (laughs) You deserve it. You deserve it though. That's really sweet of him. Super grateful. And yeah. Here's total radical research conversation material that I don't know that we've talked about much. Do you have or own or know or love Trouble Within, the second Juggernaut album? No. Okay. See, you, as a tech metal nerd and researcher and and musician, I feel like you need to know that one. Because that's, I don't know if you've listened to the Juggernaut album yet, but that first one is not a whole lot like the second one. And I'm curious what your thoughts would be on on either of those. So perhaps that's a show in the future because I I'm a fan of both of those albums, uh, but they are a band that's they're hard to love, man. But they're 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 also kind of amazing. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's pretty interesting. We will you and I will talk. We we'll uh, you know we love bands that are hard to love. <laughs> we we kind of do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Genesis. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, not not that band. Well, they're for us. They're easy. Anyway. Yeah, they're. they're God, Pyogenesis for me is like a, you know, perfectly curvaceous woman. <laughs> I'll bet you Jason Walton is laughing right now. <laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> okay, this is like Azrael.
So you know how Burble always got yanked into the whole death and roll thing? Mm-hmm. They always had kind of a melancholy undertone to them. Yes. For me, like, this is the same thing with Dead Horse. Like, there is a kind of a pensive, sincere thing underneath all that irony that, like, confirms how serious they really are. Yeah, there's like this weird hand-wringing angst. Yep. Uh, Just worry, uh, melancholy, of course. It has all that. And, And that's what gives this band this particular this album i so love that i love that uh the the worry so much depth perfect, you know? perfect way to put it like yeah, yeah yeah well we've gone through now four songs and like we've heard everything from la la song to this one they're flipping through the emotional doors pretty quickly it's a dark album it's a heavy album these are the two kind of common denominators but beyond that there's like a lot of stuff going on and like I said, we're four songs in and we've, they've given us a lot and they will give us more, which is why it's one of those albums that lasts for us, I think. Not to use the well-worn cliche of like, there's always something new to listen to every time you listen to it. But, you know, this one does offer us something every single time we listen, does it not? Yeah, it does. It does. And we've been listening a long time. This is What, what is this now? Uh, 32 years with this album? Yep. How old does that make you feel? Um, uh, 40, <laughs> 44? Oh my God. 32 years. Yeah, pretty incredible. I was 12 the first time I heard this record. Jeez. Different perspective for me. I was 22. So, yeah. um, you know, I actually saw them in 1992 when I was uh, the day after I turned 23. It was May 20th at Medusa's in Chicago. It was entombed headlining. It was the clandestine tour, but it was Lars back on vocals, LG. So that was kind of incredible. They put on one of the best shows I've ever seen in metal, death metal otherwise. Incantation played in the middle, and then Dead Horse opened up. And that was, I mean, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, what, you know, what a lineup. Uh, that that's sounds a like a, that's a that's a festival. That's three amazing <laughs> bands in their prime. No question. Uh, yeah. So um, we'll move on. This is a song called The Latent Stage. Oh! 
Yeah, I mean, I think this song pretty much sums up what I loved about them to begin with and what I still love about them is that like fearlessness in blurring boundaries. Yep. Um, I they they seem to just have no regard for genre or decorum or anything else. Or or just traditional song arrangement because the way they stop stop on a dime, they go over here, they go over there. It's it works because they're feeling it. It works because they believe it. And, and, and it and doesn't I, yes, it, it yes, exactly. And it does not seem like you know haphazard genre hopping it just feels right yeah yeah they this is just who they are we'd be remiss to not mention what what we'll just simply call tone here and i'm talking about guitar and uh, let's include the bass there uh the entire recording is fantastic but i particularly think that the guitars they're thick and warm and wet and fleshy and heavy as fuck like they are exactly what they need to be, and this was is part of what makes this album such a special That's one. Everything me. that I hoped would happen the first time I had sex, <laughs> especially the wet and fleshy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wet, well, wet, I hope so. yeah hot, you hot, wet and fleshy. But, you know, <laughs> hey man, Kerry Crafton, uh, we should interview yeah. him and ask him about the the hot and fleshy, wet, warm guitar tone. <laughs> All right, here we get into the middle of the album. And to me, again, I don't, I, I think they really also thought a lot about sequence. Because we were, we were talking offline before we started the, the program tonight about the new Afterbirth album, which we might, we just might be covering that one real soon because uh, I'm obsessed and I think you're going to get obsessed. Yep. But, but that's an album that operates highly and wonderfully on every level that you want, right? I believe that this, dead horse album does the exact same thing and i think a lot of that sequencing the afterbirth album is sequenced genius like this album same thing like i peaceful death i don't know if you agree but this is my favorite song in the album i have a lot of favorite songs in the album but i think this is a climax it's the title track it's what the lyric delivers and and the idea behind it that makes a lot of sense in the middle i just think that this song in the middle makes just so much sense I just think that this is a very artistically intentional band. Yes. Yes. Um, uh, and, and I agree with you. Like, I think that they really thought about how this album was laid out. They must have. Thank Yeah. yeah. Thanks for validating. Cause I've always thought that there was a, such no, a I, I totally agree with that. Such a super well sequenced album. Uh, we're going to listen to a little bit of peaceful death.
That's a longer snippet. That's a five minute song. And we were able to get about three plus minutes out of it. I wanted to get all the lyrics in. I think lyrically, this is also a peak for Dead Horse. The song begins with, or at least the lyric begins with a, a little line called Lee All, L-E-E, and then the second word, A-L-L, Lee All. I looked that up. I have no idea what that is. There's no reference to it whatsoever. So I guess it's just like a local or or band colloquialism that we just have to uh, assume was important for them. Um, But I want to talk about the lyric for a second. And then I want to talk about some other stuff on this song. So indulge me, Hunter. This line has always meant a lot to me. Sunday evening, returning home from church, the masses of people, lives summarized in a paragraph, not much different than mine. We are after the same thing. We're after the same peaceful death. Mm. I think we all want a peaceful death. I think we all, from the moment or maybe shortly after the moment we start learning about death as a child, we hope that it, you know, you always hear about people dying in their sleep. Your grandma died in her sleep. Sometimes it's a lie. Sometimes she actually did. But I think we all start learning that that's what we want. But I never really thought about comparing it to other people. And I think this, you know, at age 21 or 22, uh, when I got this album, um, they really kind of made me think like, yeah, no matter how different we all are, no matter how pious we are religiously or not, or how we are politically or, you know, our nationalism and all that bullshit, like we're all after the same thing. (laughs) At the end of the day, at the end of the life, we want to die peacefully. Funny thing about human beings is we would all just step back for just a second we pretty much all want the same thing. Right. You know what I mean? Right. It's a really important lyric for me. It's one of those that is so profound. Uh, and I'm, you know, listening to this crazy music and I'm, and I'm diving into this nutty metal and, uh, and here's that sentiment. And I love that inside of this. The other thing is the, the great break where we have all the voices and the, uh, the churning, you know, what sounds almost like, uh, maybe Texan monks kind of babbling. Um, pretty great. <laughs> I want to get your thoughts on this song? Cause I've, I've said enough. Yeah. It's an epic. It's one of those songs that kind of has a, I feel like the lyrics are, or I feel like the music is at the service of the lyrics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and that's not the case with most of this album. It's one of those things where they are, literally setting the lyrics they have something to say with this 
Um, and and I guess what they're doing is really sort of affirming the theme of the record. And peaceful death and pretty flowers. I always thought the pretty flowers edition on the title was 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 pretty good. Um, at the time, you know, it, it was funny. It, it's it felt ironic. I think. It, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I think it is sort of bitter. It is ironic, but I think it's sort of bitter and you know, kind of venomous. Too. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, they back it up with some some like, pretty it's uh, what we sinister want, music. But, I mean, it's not what we get. <laughs> Most of us don't. This is a song called Eulogy, and we're going to follow that with a little snippet by a song called Snow Dogs. What?
So in terms of sequencing, I think we're aware now that we're in the middle kind of transitional phase of the album. Mm. Mm. These songs sure. seem like they're ushering us into the final phase of the record. Well, yeah. And and <laughs> as we'll see, as much as we put the sequencing this album on a pedestal, I personally don't think it ends all that well. But yeah, we're still moving through some serious uh, sludgy stuff. I mean, it's um, it hasn't gone off the rails. I think Eulogy is just a fun thing that is kind of the first album expanded, which you could say a lot of this is, but I think Eulogy has more in common with the first album than anything else. Yeah, kind of, yeah, fun punk, joke but, punk. But great because it's still dark and br- great because Michael Haga still has more of a death metal, desperate sure. growl than anything else, or not a growl, but certainly... Um, I like his personality and I think there's deprivation there. There's some kind of weird desperation, I guess may, might be the better word. And he might be deprived too. We don't know. <laughs> he might be, but, but it's there. So, so it, it does lift itself up from that first album. And this no dogs, is just a great trudging doom laden kind of track. I mean, obviously some Sabbath influence there, but you're very right. They are really still moving us toward the, the, the big end. What's interesting about this album, one of many interesting things, actually, <laughs> it, it was originally released on the Big Chief label. Now, this was a really short-lived label, but they, I remember at the time, let's see, in 80, like in 90, 91, I was still doing my, I had a, at the University of Iowa, KRUI, uh, in Iowa City, I had uh, this Saturday Night Metal Show for about three hours. So I, it was a good slot. For a college radio station, it was... um pretty broad reach and i got i got this i got agony column records which were on big chief i got violent playground promo records which which was on big chief and i got dead horse uh, actually no i didn't get dead horse I, I remember buying that one but i remember the agony column and violent playground albums like like they were just pushing them hard and i just don't know what resources this label had because it was only basically three albums uh, between 1988 and 91 that came out on this label. <laughs> so they spent well and then they lost Crawfish. well. Yeah. Crawfish. Yeah. yeah and, and, and Dead Horse was 91, <laughs> whereas the Agony Column debut and the Violent Playground debut were like 88. Uh, wow, nice. so, so there were three years between those two and then their third and final record, Peaceful Death. And it's just such a weird trajectory. Uh, I know nothing. Uh, other than that about the big chief label other than they were from new york but they they did have pretty hard promotion i remember getting hit pretty hard with these promos uh, of agony column and violent playground and like man the agony column was interesting i remember seeing them live in iowa city at the time Uh, the violent playground album sucked i don't know if you know anything about that I, i don't matt johnson is a huge agony column fan I know that. I know that. I'd be curious what he thinks about Violent Playground. They had this, uh, the album was called Thrash and Blues, which is pretty mm. much all you need to know. Yeah. Mm. 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 Yeah. <laughs> nope. Not doing that. <laughs> Biscuit disapproves. Old Thrash and Blues. It's like Michael Ockerfeld said when he was like in his uh, sort of salad days as a, you know, record collector. Yeah. If he saw anything that said Boogie Woogie. <laughs> he was out. He's like, nope. <laughs> for me like thrash and blues that's it the man has taste yep <laughs> it's amazing so anyway uh relapse had the good taste to uh reissue peaceful death late in later years and i think it's a it's a good fit 
this album and relapse and i think they did the yeah. first album as well also also a good fit uh we're gonna listen to uh the incredible lark nest the lark nest now um we've taken great liberty with this snippet because i couldn't decide which snippet to highlight so i cut it into three snippets um so you'll hear some fade ins and fade outs that's us that's not the band's composition but hopefully it makes the point that there are really many cool moments in this one the lark nest and most troubled moments that we find on the record oh uh, definitely yeah definitely definitely like where they stretch themselves out and particularly you know harmonically with the the two guitars <laughs> yes you know i didn't mention i think it's is it in turn I wish I would have mentioned this earlier. I had I had it in mind too when we were talking about something else, but like when you break into a lead with two guitarists and they're both doing like completely different leads just off yep. the cuff, nodded around each other. I, yeah, I, they do that earlier in the album and uh, you hear them using the two guitar thing really well here as well. So I that's, that. I'm, I'm yep. glad you brought that out. Yeah, some, some bands have two guitarists and you really wouldn't even know it. It's always nice to hear them bring it out. Yeah, plenty. Kind of, 
weave around each other. We mentioned the artwork earlier. I want to confirm that that was drawn by Michael Haga himself. So pretty talented <laughs> guitarist, vocalist, part songwriter, and the artist for the uh, the cover of this album. So pretty cool. He does okay. He does okay, that Michael Haga. Yeah, <laughs> he does. We're going to listen to Medulla Oblongata. Now, this is track number 10 of 13. To my mind, it's sort of uh, the proper ending. Maybe I'll just hold back the rest of the yeah, well, bones, uh, <laughs> Yeah. Well, no, I mean, you know, I have things to say. So let's listen to the Medulla Oblongata. So yeah, I probably would have liked the album to end there. It does not. One thing I want to say again is Michael Haga. I just love how wretched he can sound at times. It's uh, It seems to be coming from a very real and genuine and very believable place. The little you know, bouncy guitar line, it sounds like a, an ending. Yeah. Yeah. And let's move forward. I feel like the rest of this is just kind of either bonus or something I still have yet to understand. Yeah. Um, song 11 is Aplo. There's two things here. I, I, I remember reading somewhere that Alan Price, the bassist, uh, that was his nickname, was Alpo, like the dog food. I'm thinking they probably changed it to Aplo because of, remember what happened with Melvin's Lysol? Yep. Uh, yeah, a lot of things. Yeah, like like, like trademarked names, right, and I right. th I think they must have changed it from Alpo to Aplo for the album. But I believe his uh, nickname was actually Alpo. I, I can't be sure of that. 
But um, that's just my guess based on the Melvin's Lysol model and the many other models out there for such a decision. Um, It's kind of a jokey song. We'll we'll hear it. And then it's followed up by Rock Lobster, which is a cover of the B-52s. Now, I hate Rock Lobster. I hate the B-52s. I don't say I hate songs or bands that often. I, I for, for me to hate something, like I just have to find it of, of zero value. And 99.9% of the music out in the world is probably stuff I don't like. I mean, like, you know, think about it sure. or, or just don't know or don't listen sure. to. But I don't hate most of it because it, it all serves a purpose. It all has a reason to exist. B-52s, I never, I never got. I just don't I just, get it. Yeah, I love that you hate them. But yeah, <laughs> you, you love that, that I hate them. I hate that they're... Uh... Yeah, from Georgia. You hate they're from Georgia. Do you hate they're from Georgia because they're hate, hated by me, or do you hate them? Do, do no, you no. I, I hate I hate it because they're hated by you. I just don't give a shit. You don't give a shit. Okay, so you're you're agnostic I, about the B fifty two. Totally different. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm not, and I just wish it wasn't. I wish Rock Lobster wasn't on this album. It's it just doesn't work. How do you feel about Apollo and Rock Lobster? Uh, the same that you do. Okay. Okay. Interesting. I feel so, like I, so there is, um, and I think that we have addressed this by now, that like an ironic undercurrent in this album. Oh, sure. And I feel like the scales tip at this point. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I don't like that. Well, maybe it's just them taking off their shoes and kicking up a little bit at, at the hey, end. But, I, but hell, but but hell. Hell. <laughs> hell, come on in. Have a beer, have some chips. How's your mom or them? How's your mom and them? I jerk a knot in you, boy. So, so, but they've given so much, right? Like I've I've always excused the ending of this album because it's fine. It's like, you know, and I I think when I sit down and listen to this album, I think I listen through. Sawbone is 53 seconds at the end. We're going to end our episode with Sawbone in full, uh, all 53 seconds of it. So, and it's kind of superfluous at this point, the Sawbone thing, because um, again, I feel like it could have been a 36 minute album uh, Mandula Oblongata could have ended it, but you you take the rest, and it's just to me they're like fun bonus tracks, I guess. Uh, at the at the worst, uh, or perhaps at the best, they're bonus. <laughs> yeah. they're bonus. Let's listen. I I slammed a little bit of Apollo up to Rock Lobster.
I will say this for Rock Lobster. I like Dead Horse's version much more than the B-52's version. Fair enough. <laughs> I mean, it's, it could be that wet, fleshy tone. You, you still, you still. We, we love, if there's anything about radical research, we love wet and fleshy. We do love the wet and fleshy stuff. You can, you can quote us on that. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, it's been fun going through this album with you, Hunter. This is one we've, I, I think it was one of those many that in, in uh, 2001 or so, yep. when, when we started to discover all the weird ass intersections we had as as fans of music, uh, that this is one of those where it's like, oh, yeah, you know that one. Yeah. I can't believe that you like this. Right. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. One of those, and, you know, amidst all that other stuff, this was one. And, and here we are finally giving its public due. Thanks for listening, everybody. We, we appreciate you so much. We love when you share your listening with us on the weekly Radical Research playlist page. That thing is uh, uh, becoming a monster. It's fun. It's great. Totally we, we appreciate anybody that keeps notes about their listening in their phone because it really is not the intention to to be so, um, to, to ca- just catalog in such an anal retentive way, but uh, it is a means of sharing uh, what everybody's into. And I think I think what's happening is we're turning each other on to so many different things. I'm being turned on by, by some of these playlists and some of these things that some of our radical research followers are listening to. And uh, it's a lot of fun. We're all the same mind uh, and it's, uh, it's pretty incredible. So yeah, thanks a lot for listening to this and to listening to our episode 103. Episode 104 will take us back to Norway. Ding, 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 ding. We're going back. You thought we left it forever with episode 101, but here we are. Uh, 104 will cover the works of the great band Discord, D-I-S-K-O-R-D. We imagine some of you know that. We imagine some of you do not. But uh, join us then. It's going to be a blast. That's a very special band to us. That's why we're going to cover it. Head over to RadicalResearch.org to buy my books, to soon buy Deserts of Hex number two, and to check out all of our episodes and we will be back in, let's well, say, about two or three weeks. Sayonara. Sayonara.